Welcome to the Intercut Film Club here on the Intercut Podcast channel, where we take a look at a movie that people can't cut away from. I'm your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he heard their prayers, but did he hear their screams? It's Arturo Zurita. We heard their protests, we've heard their cries. This is These are two movies that to this day I feel, much less silence I guess, but Last Temptation, anytime this plays, there's always there's always somebody with one picket fence outside a, a theater trying to complain about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Last Temptation particularly is a movie that uh, had a lot of controversy and protests and uh, death threats sent Scorsese's way. It was really? not the easiest production for him, even in terms of the so he had behind security. the scenes. Uh, yeah, because yeah. Uh, he uh, originally was hoping to make this film after The King of Comedy, a movie we talked about on Scorsese-tober last week. And then I had to go do um, Exactly. Then he went on to make uh, After Hours, and I think Color of Money also came in between. Uh, this was a movie that he was originally had set up at Paramount for around $14 million back in 1984, uh, and eventually it found its way to Universal at half the price. Uh, so Scorsese, something. This is a project that he had long wanted to make. Uh, he optioned the novel in the late 1970s and had Paul Schrader, uh, his friend and hey. uh, collaborator from Taxi Driver, adapt the script. And you know he he spent about a decade trying to trying to work on this passion project, something that he had always wanted to do, make a movie about the life of Jesus Christ and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting to see what Scorsese does with a project project that he's particularly passionate about. Because uh, not only Last Temptation of Christ, but Silence is a film okay. that he was able to stretch a budget and really push the limits of what his filmmaking was capable of. He uh, made both films kind of minimalist in certain senses and uh, very evocative through their imagery. So there's lots of things they share aside from their sort of uh, fascination with religion Two really interesting movies, two movies that I hadn't seen before we decided to launch into uh, this edition of Scorsese-tober. So I'm fresh off of them. You had caught at least silence beforehand, Mm -hmm. but I don't think you had seen Last Temptation of Christ either. Uh, Let's start with that one because it is a pretty interesting film uh, in terms of its depiction of a story that lots of people are familiar with because as the opening title cards let uh, let us know, this is not a story that is adapted from the Gospels, but rather a uh, novel. Uh, So there are some differences, but uh, a lot of similarities, I guess, to uh, the way that the story plays out, I guess, compared to how uh, most people know it. Uh, Art, I feel like you've studied the the texts maybe more closely than I have. So what were your first reactions, I guess, to Scorsese's depiction of a iconic historical figure who lots of people come in with all sorts of uh, predispos- predispositions about and opinions about and what he chooses to focus on with uh, the story in The Last Temptation of Christ? Yeah, I read the original book. I've gone through it a couple times. Uh, yeah, this is one that comes with like so much baggage that people have you yeah. know, discussed this movie to death and have opinions on it. Well, opinions without even watching the movie. So you know, I, I had heard about like the, the 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 churches that had raised ten million dollars to buy out every film reel just so they could burn it so that this movie wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think like it's going to be the most blasphemous piece of work. So getting greeted to the opening title that says what you, what you were describing of it being more of a fictional account, but more so the, the line I wrote down was that it says it's based on the internal spiritual conflict. 
And like, that's the part of it that like really stood out to me. It mm-hmm. is a very long movie, but it's a movie in where it's not coming at it from like, you know, the Catholic Christian perspective of looking at this figure of Jesus Christ and going, yes, this person's right. And everybody else who got in his way, how could they not under, how could they not understand he was the son of God? <laughs> this is looking at it from a perspective of a man who has become human. You know, it's not the Jesus that's so powerful. He has no temptations. He's so powerful. He he knows everything that's going on. He's a confused, you know, <laughs> man out in the heat, working like a nine to five. Mm-hmm. He's got all of these doubts. And it was such a profound way to humanize what is this human story? Like the whole purpose of the gospel is supposed to be that the son of God becomes human to be able to know what mankind is like, to be able mm-hmm. to to speak to people in that sense, right? And so many movies, I think, glorify it to a degree that there could be no wrong there, that you can't really be like Christ if Christ is a an errorless figure, right? And mm-hmm. there are a, a lot of moments in the Bible where, you know, he does doubt. There is that point in... Uh, when he's in the woods and he's crying right before he gets taken, that leads to the, you know, the crucifixion where mm-hmm. he's saying, if I could, you know, get this burden taken off of me, I would, that would be really great. God, <laughs> I don't want to go through this. And that to a degree is the opposite of the story of Job, another biblical character who never doubted God. And he's praised for that. And now you have the man of, you know, the son of God who did almost want that to, to, to pass by him. And the way that the story covers it, I thought was an incredibly like it, it's unblasphemous, I, yeah, I want to say. I, I don't think it's it's highlighting it. to. It's an even more spiritual film than I expected it to be from all the complaints that were out there. Yeah, it, it feels like a, a very reverent film, right? It's not trying to, yeah. to be particularly subversive. It's just that, like, I think most people who've tried to tackle this story or, or uh, things like this do it in this kind of like pure flicks style way, which is really focused on this, this, you know, person who is both human and God, but focus on the godly aspects the deity. of him. No, so and the, yeah. and this is a f- film that is really focused on the human aspects of that story and what it might be like for a human to realize they're the Messiah and all the, the complicated feelings and anger and sadness and there excitement. Go. And, yeah, and it's it's a really kind of like beautiful portray, portray complicated portrayal of that. Uh, I yeah. was I was surprised with how um, how kind of like fresh and alive it felt in this depiction of it because you you go into a story like this which is taking you through some familiar ideas for you know a pretty long time this is one of Scorsese's longer films at uh two hours 41 minutes I believe 44 minutes long yeah uh but like he's he does make it feel kind of like lived in and and like you can actually feel the presence of humanity there in a way that I don't know if these stories are always treated that way. Exactly. You know, if it's about a, a, a deity becoming human incarnate, that also comes with the mind, right? Like what right. it's like to, to have that human mind and a killer performance from Willem Dafoe. We were just touting him in poor things. And we were saying yeah. like, no matter what, what movie he's in, we've never seen a bad Willem Dafoe performance. And the way that he comes in as like this chipper dude, you know, he's been given the word. He knows what he's supposed to do. And he's almost battling with it. Like, is it going to be an easy thing to do? Uh, 
you know, if you've read the Bible, uh, all those lines that are in red that are supposed to be what Jesus said, you're, you're seeing them revisited here, but with different cadences. Like, it's not said, like, it's this holy deity talking to a disciple. He's talking to a friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he he's bantering back and forth. Is this something we should do? And sometimes the disciples would be like, I don't know about that, Jesus. Like, this isn't a, this isn't the, the way to go about it. And there are moments where he's coming up to the Sanhedrin, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. coming up to the to the established people who are there. And you get to see the perspective of, you know, not 2,000 years removed of going, don't they know this is the man of God? Man, at that time when everything's working right. the way it's working and taxes are being paid, for a dude to come in and flip tables and be like, y'all don't understand. Y'all are the old law. I am the new. This movie puts you into that time period yeah. like no other movie can. Every other movie's got this gloss to it, right? Like you said, that pure flicks look at it. But it's okay to... To look at it and be like, yes, we know he's right. But like, you have to understand why there was so much push and pull. Um, I was reading up how Scorsese specifically wanted all the disciples mm. to be New Yorkers <laughs> because he felt that they were street guys, that all yeah. the disciples were all these schmucks that he just picked up along the way. And I'm always confused with movies like this and The Exorcist, you know, films that people consider to be these like very uh, devilish movies, I guess. When they're actually in the heart of it, and I wonder if, like, getting too close to it is what what makes people, like, fear these movies. Because in The Exorcist, that's a movie that's proving evil, and in proving evil, you're proving the opposite, the the solution, which is, you know, God. In this, the way that he picked up all of his disciples in the Bible, it was a tax collector. It was a bunch of schmucks who didn't do anything. Like, that. that is what the Bible's telling you. So for you to push against that once you see a proper depiction on screen makes me wonder if y'all ever read the Bible. And uh, a lot of the buildup to it is like him realizing what his fears are. And I think humanizing that character, there's this line where he goes, uh, don't go telling lies about me or I'll go tell the truth about you. (laughs) And it's like, bro, that's like a Kendrick line that I know. So to see it delivered here from this this wisecracking dude who was just going from from town to town and was able to build his following, I don't know, it felt real. None of it felt blasphemous to me. until you get to the ending, right? And mm-hmm. I think this is a, like a pushback that a lot of people have when it comes to superhero figures, you know? I'm not saying that I love Man of Steel, but I know a lot of pushback to Man of Steel is that a Superman character, you know, a Superman cannot have blemishes. Mm-hmm. So I think to showcase a doubting Messiah is something mm-hmm. people don't want to see. But it's in the book. Like, it's mm-hmm. in the book that you have at home. And this is just like a perfect interpretation of it. Um there is a point towards the end of the movie, if we're in full spoilers, Let's where get into it, yeah. a lot of the pushback comes from this alternate reality, right? Yeah. He is up there on the cross and he realizes as he gets tempted by the devil, something that you already see in the Bible that happens to him when he gets tempted in the desert, something that he has in the woods, like I was mentioning right before he gets taken away and betrayed. But here he imagines it. And I think people assume that that is the ending of the movie and they cannot comprehend this idea of He did go through those doubts. To be like Christ is to showcase that he did feel those things and then chose the correct path. He Mm -hmm. sees this vision of what it would be like to get off of that cross as the son of God who can and to live this life with a lover, with Mary, to have a child and to grow old without having to take that responsibility. Mm -hmm. The movie is called The Last Temptation of Christ. Like, I'm watching this movie going, y'all had it wrong. (laughs) And that seems to be the case with every Martin Scorsese film, doesn't it? Uh, It is such a profound take of 
of the, 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 the temptations and the tribulations that he overcame to fight that last trial, which the temptation isn't even to live life. It's to, 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 to escape death. Yeah. And he does it. He embraces it. I don't know, man. This is like the most religious movie that I, I feel is so, has been dunked on for so long. And it's mm-hmm. like, y'all don't realize this is like the, the, the biggest uh, disciple track that you could have out there. I, yeah. I was blown away by it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a pretty remarkable achievement. I mean, uh, Scorsese himself is a person who uh, at one point imagined himself going into the priesthood, and he's a uh, Catholic who has admittedly gone through periods where he felt closer and further from his faith. But uh, this is certainly the That's film of somebody who ha- has de- dealt with the idea of what it means to wrestle with your faith and struggle with uh, your continued belief, but ultimately persevere through it right like this is this yeah. feels like a film of a believer of a believer and it's it's pretty remarkable I, it's, it's really striking and i don't know um I, i'm I, I think it's really cool that you respond to it so strongly uh we talked about how long it is i do think that i maybe got a little bit restless with some of the uh for sure you know because you are and ultimately going through a lot of things that are vaguely familiar even if they're presented in a fresh way um but yeah were you were you as less as restless as i sounded or did you kind of find yourself pretty uh, captivated by it um it is long i'm not gonna yeah. deny that right as as interesting as it was to see how they flip or, or interpret a lot of the 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 scenes um <laughs> It's a pretty long movie. I don't know what parts could have been trimmed back because I, I'm not exactly sure what it is that he really resonated with uh, in the novel, mm-hmm. which both of these are based on. Um, but yeah, uh, there are aspects to it where maybe because he's trying to showcase how he builds that following, he wanted to make it that epic journey. But I think for the most part, uh, if you were to compare this to, uh, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, it's that upcoming movie by the guy who did... Um, the 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 harder they fall, he's got that one with Lakeith Stanfield that's coming out, where mm. the take on Jesus there is that they've been grifters the entire time. Yeah, uh, me and Earl's in there. It's the book, the of, book somebody. of Clarence. So that's a movie that I can see why people think it's right. sacrilegious, because that's a take on Jesus being a dude who was just able to dupe a bunch of people. This puts it super close where it, it, it hasn't been the deity, but at the same time, understanding why he came off the way he did to a bunch of the people around him. And I think while the runtime is long, it builds up to why they wanted to crucify him. Mm. While at the same time, it, it being juxtaposed to him accepting what he needs to do as a son of God. Uh, uh, what was your take on Harvey Keitel's Judas? Because I know that is a portrayal that not a lot of people are fans of. Look, maybe it's because I just wanted something new. I thought that was raw. Again, I kind of dug, dug it too. I heard he got yeah. a Razzie nomination for this. That yeah. sucked, dude. Um, I Look, again, that take that he said that he wanted New Yorkers because he felt that all the disciples were like these street dudes. Yeah. I thought it fit him perfectly. I thought it made the, that relationship more authentic. You know, you're mm-hmm. always seeing you're, or reading or hearing that it, the relationship with the disciples was like this very, not even Batman and Robinish, but it's like, I am on top and you are there. And this felt, they felt like bros. And I think that that was a very heartfelt way to approach it. Uh, I didn't mind it so many years removed, I guess, from, from how this must have been perceived when it came out. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Last Temptation of Christ, I mean, I, you know, it, it's... 
continues to go back to the thing that we've been talking about with these Scorsese October films, that he is uh, somebody who sees ahead of the times and that his films resonate well beyond uh, when they're made. Uh, definitely a remarkable movie. Uh, I personally was more struck by the next film that we're going to talk about, Silence. Uh, this I got an ending, a... though. Did you hear what happened? You know how the movie ends with, like, the film bird? Oh, uh, yeah. Excellent. Uh, really? The moment that he dies, they had, did not realize, in you know, olden days, yeah. that it had whited out. They develop it, and he goes, it's a sign of God. <laughs> and it becomes the ending of the movie. That's that's amazing. I mean, Scorsese being able to uh, roll with the punches with the best of them, I guess. Crazy stuff. Yeah. But you like All Silence right. more. I did. I was really struck by this one uh, movie that he made uh, more recently in 2016. Uh, following Wolf of Wall Street, uh, which at the time, which is still his highest uh, grossing film. Yeah. So he was able to parlay some of that into uh, the production of yes, this. Uh, and yeah, it is a really striking movie that follows a pair of uh, Jesuit priests who traveled to Japan as missionaries to also uh, follow in the footsteps of a uh a veteran priest who has gone missing for several years in Japan. And it is again, Scorsese wrestling with the idea of how does faith persevere against the most trying of circumstances here. It's the religious persecution that uh, Christians and uh, priests in uh, that in Japan faced in the 1600s. And it is a really uh, <laughs> stunning and harrowing film uh the the just environmental uh the environmental cinematography and it has this really painterly quality they uh he and cinematographer rodrigo prieto talked about being inspired by baroque paintings in the way that they assembled some of the uh frames here i mean it is a gorgeous movie to look at which is a bit of a contrast to the like really horrifying uh, things that are depicted, the various mm -hmm. methods of torture and, and uh, the violence that uh, is enacted on these people in, in forms of religious persecution. Uh, I think because perhaps The Last Temptation of Christ is about this, you know, even though he is very human in the film, a God, ultimately a godly figure, I found more to connect to in the depiction of these humans and, and how they struggle with what they feel is their calling against, you know, all this evidence or, or, you know, persuasion that they are perhaps, you know, not, uh, you know, not going to endure it or, or that they don't know the truth or whatever it is. Uh, this isn't the first time that you've seen silence. You, you saw it before, but uh, I don't know if you got a chance to revisit it. What do you think about uh, the more recent venture into Scorsese wrestling with his faith? Uh, the first thing that I want to go off is the locations you had mentioned, because yes. last week we had talked about uh, in After Hours and... Um, King of Comedy? The way he showcased New York in both of those yes. movies is such a time capsule, uh, and he just shot them beautifully. <sighs> they don't make movies like this anymore, even though this one was in 2016. The way he mm -hmm. shot on location um, for Last Temptation. Like, it makes a difference when you're, you know, by the seaside. Here, like you were saying, to contrast all the horrific things that are happening, but within these vistas, like, it's stunning. Um, I, I really appreciate Silence. Mm -hmm. I think it is a very good movie. Mm -hmm. 
I have some thoughts on the ending that haven't changed, and I know a lot of people don't agree with me. So that's definitely what will lead to. Um, I know you had mentioned this being his passion project. I had seen that this was the first one he wrote, so like since Casino. So that was like, that's how much it meant to him. Um, One of the things I wanted to watch, I didn't have time to because of the Chicago screenings, was uh, the other two movies that are based off this novel. And Mm. I had heard that the ending might be different. I can't comment fully because... I haven't read the novel or seen those other interpretations of it. Um, but again, it'll lead to the discussion of what you think of this journey that they go through. Because it's pretty, I had called it, uh, I put Portuguese Jesuit priests in Japan saving private priests for era. Because that's pretty much what they go. <laughs> they right. go in there trying to, um, if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, uh, Nisan. Yeah. And in trying to retrieve him, um, we're full spoilers, right? Yeah. Uh, the way that they get divided between Driver's character and Garfield's character of testing their faith in terms of how far can you go before you denounce. And I know that there are different interpretations in Catholicism um, to, you know, just all the branches of Christianity. In faith, what you say, is it as important as what you do? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fascinating conversation for the movie. So I'm gonna here. To, I'm here to ask you, Zach. Uh, right. The things that you say in public are they indicative of everything that you do in private? Can you say something and then still be like, ah, no, but uh, I said no to God, but I still kept them in the background. Yeah. How how do you interpret? How do you take those things? Because um, I'd say you're not as religious. So for you, the, <laughs> yeah. the approach of like what these characters go through, especially in that setting. Uh, how you took it. Yeah. Well, like I am not religious. So when somebody offers me like denounce God or these people will die to me, that's no question at all. But I think what <laughs> makes the film so fascinating is that this is like this really gigantic question. And it is something that it, it's not even really a matter of like practicality because it's a matter of in a way denying your own existence, like denying more than what you believe, but what you, what you've, built your entire character around uh, is like not, you know, not succumbing and, and having the strength through your love of God. Right. Uh, So that's, that, that's ultimately what I found so fascinating here is to, to see the movie wrestle with that. And particularly um, the journey that uh, Rodriguez, Andrew Garfield's character goes on is so uh, harrowing and uh, taxing and, uh, it, it just, I don't know, it is maddening in a certain way. Um, I, I really kind of want to talk about the character of Kijichiro in particular as well, because there's this uh, Japanese guide of sorts uh, who sort of comes in and out of the film at various points. Uh, and it ends up being this really big like test of, he ends up being this really big test of faith for uh Garfield's uh, character Rodriguez because he's you know he he's a man desperately in need of uh, confession and of feeling feeling absolved but he's not somebody who really feels like he deserves kindness for all the ways that he showed his cowardice and all the ways that he's betrayed people that are close to him so as you know, the circumstances uh, get more dire and things become uh, even, you know, closer and closer to uh, danger for uh, Rodriguez. He's he has to surmount the the uh, 
the love. He has to like really conjure up this love from a deep reserve in order to keep treating uh, Kijichiro with kindness and to keep, Mm -hmm. you know, facilitating Kijichiro's relationship with God. Yeah. Um, No, that's a good point. I heard uh, Ken Watanabe was originally going to be, and I think some scheduling issues had happened, which would have been it, right? It would have been really interesting to see that take, uh, even with a, um, I'm about to say Passion of the Christ. Yeah. Temptation. Uh, it's going to be De Niro. <laughs> I can't even imagine a version with De Niro. But yeah. Oh, well, talking about gonna... alternate casting for this movie, at least the original version had uh, Daniel yes! Day-Lewis in the Liam Neeson role, then Benicio and then Del swapped... Toro and Gael Garcia Bernal in okay. the uh, priest roles. I'm glad you brought that up. One, Neeson being swapped out for DDL. Because uh, I think one was going to do Lincoln and then the other one was going to do this, and then they took mm-hmm. each other's roles. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis is the goat. I think Neeson is incredible in this movie. I think he's, he's very good in this movie. Is it the last good acting he's done? No. The episode of Atlanta. <laughs> You're Gael right. Garcia. <laughs> but Gael Garcia and Benicio del Toro might have, I don't, I think that's what I needed. Yeah. Do you. Was it that you didn't think Garfield and Driver did what was necessary, or, or <laughs> yeah, is it that like that broke immersion for you? I think that's a one big part of it. In a movie where you're already dealing with honesty and truth, mm-hmm. um, but I will say, you know, that 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 casting to the side. One of the big parts of it is, um, you know, they 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 go through this journey not only uh, spiritually and mentally. But you see it physically with the amount of weight that they lose, which is crazy mm-hmm. to think that Garfield would go on to do Hacksaw Ridge right after this. But there is a big aspect, like you're saying, in terms of looking at practically and then looking at it religiously. What's happening What's happening to them mentally? If what they're supposed to believe in gets compromised, then is it all for naught? Mm. Like, that's a big discussion that they end up having with Neeson's character when, he, when you know, he's almost pitching them, like, resigned it. It's almost like a... Um, uh apocalypse now uh towards the end of that movie when they finally find uh, marlon brando um but in this like i I don't know i i think my big thing with the movie that i that uh that kind of set up this time around is that there's a moment later on when he looks into the water and he sees jesus yeah and jesus speaks to him and more more than seeing jesus he kind of sees jesus in himself it's his own reflection and it sort of transforms into the picture of jesus so this time around, I took that idea of like, wait, I see a f- like I see a lot of religious people like this movie more than Last Temptation, but mm. I see a failure in this movie by the rules of a religious person, right? Right, right. You know, by the rules, he rescinded it. Mm-hmm. But then I get to this moment, and it's also Kieran Hines, as I see in the credits, voicing Jesus. Mm. That being the actor. Who sent them on this mission to begin with? Yeah, they're sort of partial, I guess you could say, like a mentor or like a elder. Yeah. Who they're really following. Yeah. And I, that's what got me thinking into another perspective of this movie where, iron- ironically, I'm going to stand with The Last Temptation of Christ is the more religious movie. And this, I almost feel, is the complete opposite. Yeah, this, well, I almost feel. Go. No, no, you finish your thought. I'm sorry. If he is hearing the person who he's more scared of because it's the person who tells him where to go, then he's not really following Jesus. Like you said, he's following his own guilt. He's yeah. It's like a kid who doesn't really believe in God. It's just his parents who told him to. <laughs> well, I mean, he he's hearing the voice that 
uh, showed him the the way, right? That showed him the light or whatever it is. And I don't know. I think there's something really interesting in that. And maybe it's because I don't have that backing of faith that I'm bringing in the movie that I feel like it's almost him making his own version of, of God. And maybe that makes him like not a good Christian by those rules or whatever. But like he's also in these unimaginable circumstances facing uh, facing a kind of peril that no human can possibly uh, face. And like, I, I don't know. I, I just, as somebody who doesn't really see the, the plus sides to martyrdom, <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. it's like the, this is a version of God that I can get on board with. Uh, there, you know, the plan that the, the title silence yeah. isn't just on like them staying silent and, and, you know, not proclaiming his name. It's also on that idea of you're supposed to be faithful within the silence, that right. that silence of communication with God is part of that test of faith. Yeah. When you don't hear the voice of God, when you, you look for God and you, all you get back is silence. And it's overcoming that. Yeah. And the idea is, is that in that you are not giving into the hopelessness while it mm -hmm. feels like what's the point that going through that is what allows you to see the, the more optimistic side of it. Mm -hmm. I had read that um, Terrence Malick, after watching the movie, I don't know if you, you saw this, he sent no. a letter and he, and he said, uh, he told Scorsese, what does Christ want from us? So it's <laughs> it's very much pushing it, you know, to, I, I would consider Terrence Malick's one of our more spiritual, I wouldn't really call him yeah. religious, but definitely more uh, spiritually in tuned. That to push him to that idea of like, then what's the point at the end of it all? Like how much... Can you be pushed to the edge before it's, I don't know, before it loses its purpose, like you're saying, mm -hmm. what is the purpose of martyrdom? But I think that that's, again, why I'm so conflicted with the ending of the movie, because yeah. I feel like like it's telling you how far would you go in that silence that the martyrdom serves a purpose before you throw it all away and it doesn't. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess I'm, we'll re review this in 10 years, I guess. Yeah, but I'm still right. conflicted with it. Yeah, and, and that makes sense. And maybe, again, like I keep, I hate to keep harping on this idea of it, but maybe it's because like the version of love that I'm familiar with is one that is like a love between people. And I know there's lots of people who, even if I necessarily like lose touch with them, don't see them, like I still have that love for them years later, right? And I think there's almost Usually. like that, that kind of relationship with God here, which is maybe not like most people's relationship with it, is particularly not somebody who's in the priesthood, but but that that it's kind of like this thing that remains there for him that despite he being you know held hostage and um forced to be this sort of puppet in the cog of this uh empire that he disagrees with that in moments of of desperation and in moments of need that that relationship is still there for him and that love is still there for him and I do and to me I just found there to be a, a beauty in that endurance um even if it, if it's like not necessarily by the the rules that his character yeah. would set out for so I don't yeah. know. There, there's that, something to that point. that I found to be uh, really, really moving uh, in a way. I can that see I, that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, if I if I take that all to the side, that's a great point. Yeah. So now that you have seen both of these uh, Scorsese wrestling with uh, Christianity movies, would you say that Last Temptation of Christ is your preferred one? Between these two, yeah. I, yeah. I, I was very surprised with how much that holds up. 
again, with Willem Dafoe's performance, just the way he's able to visualize it, the settings that he had there, and just his take on a lot of these, uh, you know, iconic chapters in the Bible, conversations that happened within his disciples that I thought he portrayed better than a a lot of other interpretations of Jesus. How high up on your, like, best Scorsese movies does it ultimately rank? (sighs) I don't know. Uh, It's not in my top five. That's for Mm. sure. Um, it feels bad to say that it's lower, but it's like something's got to be the lowest, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it it be on the the latter half for sure. But that's not a bad thing for me. Maybe but like did silence, you go like, silence isn't a bad thing. Sorry, did you go like four star on Letterbox or something like that? Three and a half. Yeah, I'd probably go four stars, and I'd also probably say the same thing for for you know silence. My emotional take on silence, and, and you know my perspective of it from what they are as priests going into it is completely separate to. Uh, it being another masterful picture that he's shot, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's crazy to think that um, you were mentioning the behind the scenes with Paramount. He was almost going to shoot Silence in 3D. Yeah, yeah, then, I saw that. And decided the last minute not to. <laughs> what a weird 3D experience that would have been. I, I don't know you if mean, I... Right? Yeah, if I need to see all those, like, torture devices, the, the like, coming right out the, the screen at me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Just at the end of it all. The uh, idea that that was the movie that really set him and Paramount ablaze to the point that that's what caused him to pivot over to the Netflix model. Uh, and now with him working with Apple, but with Paramount again, because I think Paramount is the one who's releasing Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, all I can say is Scorsese definitely has the most faith in himself because this man perseveres through it all. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think I prefer silence from these two movies. And there is a prompt going around on Twitter or X right now. Uh, people are listing their top five Scorsese movies in honor of the release of Killers of the Flower Moon. And I was trying to think of my five, and I feel pretty confident in my three. But when I get to like four, five, there's a few movies floating around in there. Stuff like The Great Departed, Director. stuff like The Aviator, uh, stuff like Goodfellas. And I think I got Silence floating around in that maybe like four to top four to top eight Scorsese okay. movies for me. Uh, but yeah, I, I ended up really, really responding to this one. I like it quite a bit. Cool. Um, I think I went four and a half on Letterboxd for that. Ooh, that's not uh, a joke. Yeah, yeah, and then I went uh, only three and a half on Last Temptation, but it's still a very good movie. It's long. It's long. Yeah, for sure. Uh, But yeah, I'm really glad to have caught up with these. Uh, A couple more notches on the Scorsese filmography. We are going. Oh, man. Yeah, what's what's the. I guess for me. (laughs) Yeah, Killers of Flower Moon. You're going to catch that one soon, hopefully. Um, I think. What's the next Scorsese movie I want to tackle? You know what movie I haven't seen of his that I really want to is uh, Italian American, the one where he his parents. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's on, I think I saw it on YouTube. Yeah, I think it is on Fantastic. YouTube. Fantastic, hilarious. She's the best. I, yeah, uh, I'm gonna catch up with that one next, maybe. Uh, bringing out the dead. Uh okay. So we have some more movies to talk about next time we want to do a, a Scorsese deep dive, but we are going to wrap up our Scorsese-tober here on the Intercut Film Club with a discussion, including spoilers, of Killers of the Flower Moon, the upcoming three-and-a-half-hour historical epic from Scorsese. Uh, Really excited to do that. Hope you'll all have a chance to catch that movie before we do it because we're posting it uh, next week, and the movie's out wide this weekend. So, you know, uh, wear your adult diapers if you need to. Don't don't hydrate too much and get ready. Be ready to sit there for three and a half hours because it is a it is a 
pretty staggering movie. Um, I, it I is think interesting it's well to hear worth people say three and a half hours for Kills of the Flower Moon. That's ridiculous. Three hours for Taylor Swift. <laughs> I don't know if the <laughs> no friendship problem. bracelet gives you that extra patience. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you going to watch it again? I am going to watch it again. Yeah. I'm uh, excited to catch it again and, and kind of dive into some more of the detail of it because it is such an epic that I feel like sometimes it can be hard to focus on the minutia of a movie that that's, that's that long. But I think there's so much detail and so many things, you know, uh, I, I've mentioned this before, but I went through the audiobook of it as well. And, uh, I just think there, there's so much context that isn't even uh, given in the movie, uh, but there is all this other detail too. So there's so much to wade through. I'm really excited for our discussion about it. Really excited for you to catch it. Really excited to talk about it with the rest of the inner cuties as well. Uh, but I think that's about all for our edition of Scorsese Tober. Uh, artwork can people catch more from you. You can find me over at LME Movies on all social media, hopefully logging the rest of Scorsese's thing so that we can eventually have a bracket when he comes out with his next one. Yeah. That's hopefully not that far down the future. Uh, I mean, you there's find rumors me that he's uh, doing another one with Leo, with, uh, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. I was seeing people already uh, looking forward to the documentary once, all set, once it's all said and done. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at Zshevich on various social media platforms. That's Z-S-H-E-V as in Vox Domini. I don't know if that's a thing. I-C-H. And check out my YouTube or TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. And you can catch every episode of the Intercut podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And then make sure you subscribe to not just the audio feed, but the video feed as well. YouTube.com slash Intercut Pod, where you can catch our pious faces as we break down the latest and entertainment uh find new episodes of the intercut weekend must watch streaming on our youtube channel and every monday and please leave a comment maybe leave a comment on this video about what your favorite scorsese movies are like this video if you've enjoyed this discussion if you're still hearing this you think i think you might owe us a like and consider heading us over to itunes to give us that much requested five star review uh, follow us at Intercut Pod across our different social media platforms, as well as on Patreon, where you can support the show for as little as $1 a month and get early access to Intercut episodes like this one, as well as look into our episode outlines and invitations to our monthly patron Google Hangouts. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, it is accomplished. It is accomplished.